Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Great to have you with us on this Thursday. Believe it or not, we've had a few passing snow showers here today in State College. Had one just about 15 minutes ago. Taped a TV show this morning. When I was done with the TV show, I came back home and for the fifth time and the final time this year, I raked the yard. I've had enough. I don't care what comes down now. (laughs) Let it snow. (laughs) I got rid of all of it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you do have quite a few trees in and around the property there. So, yeah. I'm, I can tell you exactly who didn't plant them. <laughs> okay. I can tell you I didn't plant them. I can tell you that right now. Uh, not planted. All right. Time now for our play-by-play call of the day. Wade to trigger. Five seconds on the shot clock. 20 seconds on the game clock. It's lob to LeBron. He's at the right point. He works on Samson. Step back three. He nails it. Timeout Sacramento is with 15 seconds remaining. LeBron James has given the Cavaliers a 195 lead. Imagine the privilege of having that job. I get to announce LeBron's games. <laughs> That's pretty good. It's not a bad gig at all. I get to announce LeBron's games. All right. That's our play-by-play call of the day. Washington and Penn State in the Fiesta Bowl on Saturday, December 30th, coming up three weeks from this Saturday. In fact, they'll have a full team sans Saquon Barkley tonight. Uh, full team practice uh, getting underway in just a little bit here. Uh, this evening for the bowl. Uh, and Roxy Bergstein, who's joined us before, is joining us uh, this time in representing the Pac-12 networks among the many assignments he, that he has. So he's seen Washington a few times this year. Roxy, welcome back. It's great to hear you again. My pleasure as always to join you. All right. Uh, you saw a lot of Washington this year along the way. When you look at it overall, how good is that football team? They're, they're a really good team. I don't think, Steve, they're at the level they were at last year in terms of when they went to the college football playoff. I think injuries have had a, a big part in why Washington uh, didn't win the Pac-12 North this year when you lose key players like Chico McClatcher. And so, uh, but this still is a very good football team, and they're very well coached, as we know, with Chris Peterson. And I, I think they still had a good season. I think there's some disappointment in terms of, for the Huskies, what could have been. But still, nonetheless, I, I think it was another productive year for UW. Uh, Jake Browning, a quarterback. When you look at him, what do you see, Roxy? I see an efficient quarterback. I see a guy that goes in there and he's connected in terms of understanding what Chris Peterson wants and from his offensive uh, mindset 
and runs the system, takes advantage of the talent that they have on the field, finds ways to get the ball to Dante Pettis. Uh, but with Washington also, I think that they spread the talent around. There's some young talent. It's still a little bit unproven. But he is a smart, efficient quarterback who is a prolific high school quarterback with the numbers that Jake Browning put up when he was playing in the Sacramento area. And has stepped in done a, a terrific job ever since he took over as a starting quarterback as a true freshman for the Huskies. Roxy, you mentioned in there Dante Pettis. It's been a great year for the Pettis family. Gary, of course, the third base <laughs> coach for the Astros after that great 11-year career he had patrolling in center field, uh, mostly with the Angels. Nine punt returns for touchdowns in his career for this year. What makes him? You have to have a feel for this. So, what makes him a prolific punt returner? His ability to not just his athleticism in terms of being able to see holes and take advantage of it and sprint away from the coverage, but he's he sees things. And look, Washington, I think, has great blocking as well, which always helps. But his ability to find creases in lanes and then burst right through it. His quickness, look, we saw his dad as one of the best base dealers of his generation as a major league player. Well, he has that same type of burst and speed, which really plays into helping him as a punt returner. And this is—he's a gifted, not just punt returner, but a receiver as well. And I, I think that he's going to be extremely attractive to NFL teams when they get a chance to get him. What kind of receiver is he? He is still, I, I think, embracing how to be a terrific route runner. But he's a smart receiver, and okay. he's getting there. And certainly, he's a playmaker, considering not just what he does special teams wise, but his ability to stretch the field and open it up. Okay, there's going to be not one, but two running backs in this game that have put together three straight 1,000-yard seasons. Saquon Barkley, Miles Gaskin. Okay, give me the overview on Miles Gaskin. Why is he as prolific as he is? It's funny that he's almost the forgotten guy in terms of the production that he's put up at Washington. He is strong between the tackles. He's a physical punishing runner, but also has some speed. I don't think he's got the breakaway speed that Barkley has, but he's still fast. Uh, but he is an outstanding runner between the tackles, and where Washington, I think, does a lot of their damage running the football. And with Gaskin, they have a strong offensive line, even though their injury has had to make them adjust a little bit up front. But this is a tough physical running back that almost seems to look for contact and run through it. And he's different than Barkley in terms of his production and how he gets things done. But at the end of the day, they're still extremely effective in how they help their football teams. Defensively, they run that 3-4. How important in that 3-4 is Vita Vea at the no spot? He's the guy. He is the trigger for this defense in terms of the point of attack, and everything seems to feed off him because he swallows up double, even triple teams. And there are playmakers around him which benefit from what he does, but he swallows up the middle of that line. When you're going 6'3", 350 pounds, and it's not like he's just big and prodding, He's athletic also, and I think people shortchange him in terms of his athleticism, what he can do, because I think he's a well-rounded football player, 
and he's not just a powerful guy, but he also has some quickness and some athleticism to his game. And he, that's that's why he's going to be a first round draft pick come the spring. Uh, Roxy, I was looking at the tape, and the one thing that struck me is how well he uses his hands. He uses his hands like a linebacker does, and he's so strong. And, that, and that's the other thing. And you alluded to the, what he does there, but okay, they lost a number of guys off the defense from a year ago, but there's a reason why they still had a tremendous season on that side of the football. And yes, there's players around him, but Vita Vea, make no mistake about it, he is the key to what Washington tries to do defensively. Is it because of what they did with the front seven? Is that a big reason why they were able to compensate for a lot of losses in the secondary? Yeah, I, I think it is, that they're able to generate a pass rush with the guys up front and that they don't have to bring extra bodies to get to the quarterback when they want to try to get pressure because they can generate pressure with sometimes even three rushers. And a lot of times they'll bring four, but the, they have that luxury where they don't have to bring extra guys. They don't want to blitz, and Pete Kwiatkowski, who is their defensive coordinator, wants to play within his system and that they're able to do it, I think, because they're able to generate enough of a presence up front without having to bring extra guys from the back end. Viscano, uh, how much of, <laughs> did he end up being? Did he come on at all at the end, or did he, or was he somebody that scared Chris Peterson every time he went out there? I, I think this was a, an issue for them all season that they didn't know. Uh, what they were going to get every time they send the field goal unit out onto the field. They didn't have much confidence in it. I think they have a lot more confidence now as the season progressed because maybe he found it, maybe he made a technical adjustment, but it was a real issue midseason for Washington, and they were finally able to iron it out. So they're at the point where I, I think that they're confident in their kicking game, and they can – uh, be productive on that end, but at the end of the day, right. you know, if it comes down to a big kick, I, I'm not sure how confident and how <laughs> and the, if the uneasiness will leave Chris Peterson until that field goal goes through. Because we saw it in the Arizona State game his yeah. struggles, which led to a pivotal loss for Washington. In fact, I felt because I watched that game that night. I can't remember where I was coming back from, but I remember watching that game that night. And the one thing I thought was it really tied Chris Peterson's hands as to how he played the game. So he went for it on fourth down later in the game when maybe normally he would not have. Yeah, and I was as stunned as anybody that Arizona State won that game because Washington was coming off a bye. It just seemed like they were rolling at that point. And, look, give Todd Graham, you know, unfortunately he was let go after the season by Arizona State and his defensive coordinator, Phil Bennett, to how they were able to saddle Washington with just seven points in that game. But that was that was a real head-scratcher for me considering – uh, what was at stake for Washington, and they went on the road. And it, look, it's, we, as we know, it's not easy to go on the road in conference play. But for them to lose that game, that was a real eye opener to me. I have to ask you uh, uh, two more questions. One, what do you think of the matchup with Penn State? It, it, it's, I, I think it's going to be one of the more attractive games because I think both sides really have a lot to play for. Um, in terms of just wanting to finish the season strong and 
and come forth with an effort. And it's always f- interesting to watch Chris Peterson teams come bowl time because they always seem to have a trick or two up their sleeve. Right. <laughs> so you know that James Franklin and Penn State are going to have to be ready for something. And maybe this extra time helps them. Okay, we got to stay home if we see this look or that. But that's the one thing that's always entertaining about a Washington bowl game or when Chris Peterson was at Boise State is he's going to empty he's going to empty the playbook. He's going to throw some things at you that oh my gosh, what is this? And it just seems that they're they a lot of times they're the talk of the bowl season because of some of the unique things that they tend to do. Uh, three openings in the Pac-12, if I recall correctly. Oregon State, obviously uh, Arizona State, and UCLA. The two most talked about are going to be Arizona State and UCLA. What do you think about Chip Kelly coming back into the conference and then the reemergence of Herm, Herm Edwards? The, the Herm Edwards one was a surprise. And you started hearing rumors about it, and you're like, is this going to legitimately happen? And it started gaining some momentum and steam. And Ray Anderson, their AD at ASU, they seem to be taking a unique approach in terms of they almost want to frame it as an NFL situation where Herm, yes, he's the head coach, but he's also kind of a general manager and a CEO type, and they're going to give a lot of power and a lot of say to the coordinators, and they've, they've kept Billy Napier, who came over from Alabama as the offensive coordinator, and he will be given the title of assistant head coach. We'll see. I don't know what's going to happen on the defensive side, if they're going to keep Phil Bennett, who I thought did a really good job mm-hmm. with Arizona State's defense this year. Yep. Uh, but it, it was an interesting move from that perspective. And the other thing about the UCLA hire, not only is it Chip Kelly and they're committed to him, now they catch a financial break because the 49ers still have to pay Chip a bunch of money. Right. But UCLA is paying Jim Mora $12 million to go away, as is Arizona State with Todd Graham, which is surprising to me considering that public universities would go that route and and eat up that much money. So, uh, But the Chip Kelly, it it made some sense. I know UCLA had their struggles, and UCLA feeling they needed to make a splash considering what's going on with USC and to try to be competitive with them and the rest of the conference. So... It, it, it was an aggressive move by UCLA, and it certainly it, it makes a lot of sense considering Chip's track record in the conference with Oregon. Roxy, it's always a pleasure. I always enjoy the conversation very much. Uh, appreciate it. You got it. My pleasure. Roxy Bergstein, Pac-12 Network. We'll come back with more in a moment as we continue. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 on News Radio 1070 WKOK. All right, great to have you with us on the show today. Grateful to each and every one of you who are with us sometimes, or sometimes you're with us every day. We appreciate that very, very much. As next half hour, the Eagles having a big game this weekend with the Rams. Big in the overall standings. I mean, the Eagles right now, this is how it's been in the NFC. In the NFC, the Eagles run off a nine-game winning streak and go to 10-1. and one. They have the number one overall seed. Then they fall at Seattle. They would not be the first team to fall at Seattle. So that drops them to 10-2. and two. It also dropped them from the number one seed because the Vikings have that right now. The Rams are right there in the thick of this as well. Now the Eagles have to play the Rams. The Eagles have stayed out on the coast. 
to play the Rams, and that will be at the Coliseum coming up on Sunday. And that should be a really good game. The top two picks in the draft from a year ago, head-to-head, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, to make it even a little more intriguing. Should be a heck of a game coming up. Looking forward to that. Jim Delaney scheduled to be on the show tomorrow, Big Ten Commissioner, and also representatives from the Fiesta Bowl tomorrow, and our picks will be on tomorrow's show as well. Do not uh, be uh, taken aback by the new leader in the clubhouse. Uh, whatever. It's not worried about it. It's all in good if fun. Finish, if I were to finish last, I would not care. <laughs> it's all in good fun. Oh, I know. It just I've had a hard time the last few weeks picking NFL games. I've been thankful we've had a great slate of college football games to, you know, chop up. But uh, at least we got, uh, I mean, other than Philly and the Rams, there are some other great games to check out this weekend. you got Seattle-Jacksonville is pretty intriguing. Minnesota-Carolina pretty good. Atlanta-New Orleans tonight. Yeah. Not, that's not bad. That's huge, too. Look how great, uh, I think New Orleans is surprised. Uh, quite a few people. How about Alvin Kamara? Oh, my goodness. He's putting up some yeah. insane fantasy numbers. Ian Rappaport reports Steelers linebacker Ryan Chazier's spinal surgery will necess- necessitate months of recovery, sources say, before he considers a return to football. His season is over. A very difficult situation. That's the tweet from Ian Rappaport. Now, of course, there's no official word. But Rappaport, of course, has a lot of sources. But they say it's a, essentially what he's indicates a long road back for Ryan Chazier. Uh, Steelers have not made any official announcement about Chazier's recovery. Ian Rappaport of NFL Media reports that it'll be months before Chazier can even start to consider a return to football. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. I did not see the play and still have not seen the play. You did. Yeah, led with that, led with his helmet and went right yeah. into the hip of the uh, Bengals uh, tight end. Uh, backup tight end wasn't Tyler Eifert. Uh, or was it the wide receiver? I was trying to think right off the top. But, uh, but he did lead by his head and uh, with the crown of his head and, and just uh, wrong location, wrong time. But you know what? They say it'll be months before he can consider returning to football. To me, let's take it. Let's take it a step further. Sounds to me like walking and running is very much in the future for Ryan Shazier. That that to me is the important part: quality of life. And it sounds like he can get back on the path to a quality of life, and then and think about whether or not he should go back to football. See, that's what I take out of it. So, we'll see. Uh, hope he, I hope he does well. Uh, he's a heck of a player. My goodness. One of the other Steelers beat writers uh, tweeted out less than an hour ago, looks like uh, Arthur Motes will take the inside linebacker spot Sunday night against the Ravens. Yeah, that makes sense. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. Especially now with, with Tyler Matakevich, uh the uh, kid out of Temple. Hey, he got uh, hurt. Yeah, his uh, shoulder got knocked out of joint uh, late in the game Monday night, too. See, this is when people start talking about the possibility of an 18-game schedule. This is why the players have resisted this. 
Look where we are now with all the players that are hurt at this particular point. That's why they've always been a little antsy about the 18-game schedule. Yeah, you bump off two preseason games, which for the fan, yeah, bump off two preseason games, play two regular season games. But remember, most of these players aren't playing in the preseason games. Or they'll play a little bit in one, a little bit in another, maybe a half and a third, whatever. But that's the that's the part that is disconcerting. As you go to 18, what do you end up with in terms of players? I mean, you, I mean right now you get to 16, and at 16 games, it's a real struggle to keep your full roster together because, look, it's a violent sport. So Ryan Shazier had surgery to stabilize his spine. Ian Rappaport reports it'll be months before he can can consider anything when it comes to football. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. By the way, just uh, so that we remember, today is Pearl Harbor Day, uh, 76 years ago today. Uh, all right. Uh, very pleased to bring in Rich Hammond, uh, Rams beat writer, Orange County Register, and the L.A. Daily News. Rich, welcome. It's great to have you with us. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks a lot. Uh, I want to ask you about the fire situation first, because uh, most of that course is north of Los Angeles. But what is it like there right now? Yeah, boy, it's it's hard to describe. I mean, I'm sure people have seen you know some images and videos on, on television. It's, it's a very scary um, situation. I mean, it seems like uh, uh, the perimeter of, of Los Angeles is kind of blanketed by these by these fires to the north and and uh, to the west. So the uh, biggest one has been pretty close to the Rams practice facility, probably about 15 miles away. Uh, fortunately for the Rams, the wind's been blowing the other way, so it hasn't really affected them. I'm, I'm standing outside at practice right now, and the blue skies is clear, uh, but they did have to cancel practice uh, yesterday, or they, they altered their plans a little bit uh, just because of concerns about air quality. But, uh, you know, very sad situation, obviously, for, for those people who've lost homes and, and property and such. But uh, as far as the Rams go, they, uh, they're back to normal today. Why has Jared Goff improved this year, Rich? I think it's a two-pronged thing. Uh, well, maybe even three-pronged thing. I, I'd look at Jared himself has, has made improvements. Uh, as a second-year quarterback, you, you'd expect a guy to, to take a step forward, uh, having had nine games of experience last year. Uh, excuse me, seven games of experience last year. Uh, you, you know, you'd expect a guy to, to take some strides in, in his second year, and he has. He's, he's been better himself. Uh, and then you look at personnel that's, that's been surrounded him. The Rams made a, a huge upgrade at left tackle, bringing in Andrew Whitworth, who is, frankly, one of the best in the business and, and has been for you know the past uh, five or six years, I would say. Uh, so that's a huge help. Uh, upgraded the receivers, bringing in Sammy Watkins, Robert Woods, drafting uh, Cooper Cup, and a couple tight ends also. So um, improvement there. And, and then the final thing I would say is coaching. 
uh, bringing in Sean McVay, a great offensive mind who, who did some nice things with Kirk Cousins there in Washington. Uh, bringing in offensive coordinator Matt LaFleur, who had some good success with uh, Matt Ryan down in Atlanta. A couple other veteran coaches. Uh, Greg Olson's been really good. So uh, surrounded him with, with better people and, uh, you know, people who are more equipped to, to teach a young quarterback. And, and I think you're seeing that pay off this year. You mentioned in that answer, Rich, Andrew Whitworth. He's one of the four starters of the 22 that they have out there that has postseason experience. In your opinion, down the stretch, what can those four guys mean to the guys that haven't been there before? Yeah, I think it's a steadying uh, kind of influence. You know, you don't want to – teams like the Rams and the Eagles, too, who, you know, have been a little bit surprising, I think it's fair to say. You know, nobody expected these two teams to be you know, kind of atop the NFC at this point. Uh, but they are. And, and when you get to this point, you know, mid, mid-December, the last four games of the season, you don't want to do anything different than you have. I mean, what, what you've done in, in the past 12 games is what's gotten you here to the top of – top of the division and uh, just because these are late December games just because you know the playoffs are looming and you're playing for position you don't want to kind of lose your head you don't you don't want to start doing things that are abnormal and, and start to you know lose a little bit of focus or whatever um, so I, I think that's what some of these veteran guys can do is just kind of keep it calm just say hey you know what we're, we've done what we need to do let's let's just keep doing it don't don't worry don't get too hyped up don't get, don't get nervous that sort of thing you know just just do what you've done for the last uh, three months, and, and I think that uh, Whitworth in particular is a great guy to deliver that message, and, and the Rams have a couple other veterans who have been there uh, before, but the, you know they also have a lot of young guys who, who are going to, to need that guidance, so good to have those older veteran guys in that locker room. What are the attributes, Rich, that Todd Gurley brings to the table that are so important to what the Rams do? Well, he, you know, he, he's just a special back in, in himself, and you know, is great when when he has a little bit of space great footwork uh to you know turn little plays into big plays but the one thing i I would say you know beyond just what he brings as a as a good running back is they've really utilized him in the past game this year and uh, it's just something that the former rams staff really was not able to do for for whatever whatever reason i don't know uh but uh, this group has has really really utilized uh todd you know whether it's check downs or or whether it's designed uh, screen passes uh, really has become a big weapon uh, for that Rams offense and, and really has made them tougher to defend because, you know, they also have downfield threats like, like Sammy Watkins as being, being the major one, um, you know, who, who makes you keep an eye on him down the field. But, but you also can't go too far away because Todd Gurley can sneak out there and, and turn a little, you know, five-yard dump off into, into a 30-yard screen pass. So that's one thing in particular uh, where he has really, really raised his – game and and really has become a huge weapon in in this Rams offense. And I think what the Rams are what eight and one when he's over a hundred? Yeah, and uh, yeah, eight and one, and I believe seven and zero when when he gets twenty touches. So Ooh. you know, when you have a weapon like that, you, you don't want to force speed up. You can you can look too much into those stats, I think sometimes, and and maybe let them dictate how you call your game. But I, I think it's fair to say that that when you know Todd is able to play a big part in that offense, that that means the, that the Rams are doing pretty well. Obviously, we've talked a lot about the Rams' offense at this point, but defensively, what have the Rams been able to hang their hat on this year that's allowed them to be effective? 
Well, I think they've you know they've had some ups and downs to be to be quite honest. Uh, you know, the one thing they've been able to do, and it's one thing I'm actually going to write about today and explore a little bit, is, is second half adjustments. They've been really really good in the third quarter in particular. Uh, they've only allowed one third quarter touchdown all season, and uh, so so what that tells me is they're they're pretty good in there at halftime, and they're pretty good in identifying you know what's been going wrong and you know what they need to fix. And so the key for the Rams is just to then to hang in there in the first half. You know they they don't need to blow teams out in the first half necessarily, uh, but they they want to keep it. They either want to be leading or you know be down by three or seven uh, so that they can come in and, and make those adjustments that they've been so good at in the second half. And in particular, stopping the run. They've, they've been really good on run defense um, in the second half. So that's a credit to a, a very veteran coach in, in Wade Phillips, who's, you know, he's seen it all. <laughs> there's, nothing, there's nothing that Wade Phillips hasn't seen in the NFL. So it seems like he's able to uh, kind of identify what's going wrong and, and make those in-game adjustments that, that really allow the Rams to tighten up. Is that one of the great assistant coach hires of the year in the NFL? It really is for you know for a number of reasons. I think. I mean, you, you, everybody knows what Wade Phillips' acumen is as a, as a defensive coordinator. I mean, forty years in the league, he's, he's, he's you know a legend in, in assistant coaching. But you know what? There's there's another thing, and it, it, he's, he provides such a great compliment to Sean McVay. I mean, you're talking about a 31 year old head coach. You know, who's who's never well, obviously he's never been a head coach before. But you know, he, this is this is something that it could have been over his head. But what he did is he went out and hired you know the, the most veteran assistant coach that you could get. And to Sean's credit, he wasn't threatened by that. I mean, a lot of guys maybe would shy away from a Wade Phillips because of that resume, because he's such a legend. And you, you might think you might get overshadowed by a guy like that. Um, but I, I think it's really to Sean's credit that, that he felt confident enough in himself uh, to, to bring in a guy like Wade and, and to give him such authority and such control uh, over that defense. And, and I've been really you know, pleasantly surprised at uh, how well those two guys have worked together. It's almost like a father-son relationship, but it's on, you know, the, the shoes on the other foot. You know, the 31-year-old guy is in charge, and, and the 70-year-old guy is the assistant coach. But uh, those guys have worked <laughs> together really well and a uh, big, big part of what the, the Rams have done this year. To be really good at any job, I don't care if you're a sports writer, an announcer, or a coach, you have to have a really good feel for it. So when you look at Sean McVay as a play caller, as a head coach, where can you tell that he has a really good feel for this job? I think it's in his communication with the players, you know, and, and maybe some of that has to do with, with being closer to their age, too. I mean, that, that might be one part where you look at it and say being 31 is, is an advantage because, you know, a lot of these guys are right around his age group. Some of them are a few years younger. You know, Andrew Whitworth, I think, is four or five years older than him. Uh, but, but I think he, he gets these players. You know, he, he's able to reach them in a way that, that maybe some other coaches can't. And that's not an ageism thing. I'm not saying that older, older coaches, you know, can't communicate. You know, Pete Carroll is the, the oldest coach in the league, and, and he's obviously one of the best communicators out there. But, but I think Sean's been able to use that to his advantage and, and really, really connect with these guys on a personal level and, and get them to buy in. Um, and, and then, you know, similar to Wade, uh, just from a, from a practical standpoint, uh, I would say Sean's ability to adjust as a play caller, too. Uh, sometimes things don't go well early. Sometimes that, that offense gets bottled up a little bit. Sometimes Sean gets a little too pass-heavy at times with his play calling. But, but then he's able to adjust, too. I think he's able to identify his own weaknesses as a play caller 
and and make those adjustments in the game. So uh, that's the maturity that, that I didn't think I'd necessarily see from from Sean as a coach, uh, but have been very impressed by by his ability, uh, in, you know, to improvise or, or to make changes during games. So uh, you know, very good, very good, I'd say. Rich, two more questions. I'll let you go. We appreciate your time very, very much. The first one deals with what are your thoughts on the matchup with the Eagles? Well, geez, I, you know, I've gone through the – I do a preview box every every for every Sunday game, and uh, I'm, I'm looking at that team trying to find a weakness. And I, I mean, I'm not saying that just because I'm on your show and <laughs> talking to, to the Eagles fans, but – but I, I mean it honestly. I mean, I, I look through every through every stat and through every you know nook and cranny of that of that team, and, and it just looks like such a balanced and uh, and very good team. It is by far, I, I think it's fair to say, by far the most balanced uh, team that the Rams will face this year. Uh, obviously, everybody uh, knows about that offense, but uh, what, what surprised me is just how effective that defense has been, and uh, probably an, an underrated uh, part of, of that Eagles team. You know, anytime you score a lot of points, that's what gets a lot of attention, but. I think anybody who's uh, been around football long enough knows that the defense is, is what wins your games a lot of times. And uh, I think the Rams are going to have their handful uh, with, with that defense, especially with the run defense. Uh, we talked about Todd Gurley uh, and the need to get him going. And if that Eagles defense can bottle up uh, Todd Gurley early in the game, uh, that's typically what's given the Rams problems. So they are uh, going to need to find a way to get creative and uh, to get Todd Gurley going in the first half so that the Eagles – uh, can't just pin their ears back and, and come after Jared Goff. So I think it's a, I think it's a fascinating matchup, and uh, I'm really, really looking forward uh, to seeing that Philadelphia team in person. Last year when the Rams uh, returned to Los Angeles, the opening preseason game against Dallas, you needed a shoehorn to get everybody in there. By the end of last season, there were a lot of empty seats. The Rams are winning. Has it made a difference in attention in Los Angeles? Yeah, it's starting to. It is. And you know what? They came back last year, and people asked right away, okay, how long is the honeymoon period going to last? And you saw exactly how long it lasted. It lasted until they went 4-12. and And then what happened was, look, I mean, people aren't stupid. I don't care where you know what part of the country you are or what sport you're talking about. The team went 4-12, and and you're asking people to pay you know hundreds of dollars to to go to games in a temporary stadium, which is what the Coliseum is, it's essentially a college stadium, uh, to watch a team that wasn't very good. And, you know, I, I, if, you're a, if you're a Rams fan, you don't, you don't blame them for, for kind of turning it off this year. Uh, but you're seeing it coming back, and, and you're seeing it kind of around town, just, you know, in terms of the more casual fans, more, more chatter, uh, you know, more talk on, on, the, on the radio shows, you know, more time on the TV shows and that sort of thing. Um, but but it's, a, it's a slow process, and uh, the Eagles are going to have a lot of fans out here this week. I, I don't think anybody doubts that. Everybody saw what happened, you know, when they played the Chargers a couple months ago. Uh, but you are seeing it come around, and uh, I, I think there's a lot more excitement now, uh, certainly than there was at the start of September. Uh, and a lot of people have hope that, that this is a Rams team that will be able to win for a long time. Actually, I lied. I just said one. Will the Chargers ever make it in Los Angeles? It's, it's, it's a tougher go. I mean, I, I think it really is a race to see which one of those teams can get really good first. I, I think they both do have an opportunity, especially when they end up playing in the same building 
uh, you know, when when they become, you know, kind of roommates in that new stadium in Inglewood in a couple of years. Uh, they both have a chance, but I'll tell you what, whoever whoever wins first, if, if one of these teams could, you know, get to the Super Bowl in, in the next couple of years, they are really going to capture the hearts and minds. I mean, you have to remember, 20 years, 20 years without an NFL team in, in this city. Um, so that's a lot, a lot of fans, you know, who are, who are 30 years and under. Who, who haven't had a team. You know, they don't have any loyalty, and, and they're looking for a team to grab onto. And I do think that whichever one of these teams becomes a consistent winner first is going to capture a lot of those fans. Rich, an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for the time you gave us today, especially pulling yourself out of practice to do that. Appreciate it very much. You got it. Thanks a lot. It's Rich Hammond joining us from the L.A. Daily News in the Orange County Register. He's a beat writer for the L.A. Rams. I've got the Eagles coming up this week. We'll come back, wrap it up in a moment here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Penn's Tavern is where you want to celebrate this holiday season. Whatever feel you're looking for, Penn's Tavern along the Susquehanna River can accommodate your needs. Mountain stone walls and wood floors can be found in the original dining area, giving you that old world charm. Continue back to the newly renovated River Room with 12 PA microbrews on tap. Grab a burger and sit back and relax in this cozy pub area. Penn's Tavern has the best gift certificate offer for the holidays. Buy five gift certificates of the same denomination and receive a sixth one free. Penn's Tavern, a piece of on Route 147, five miles south of Sunbury. Magic Radio in full form tonight from 6 to 7. S. Claus, huge fan. Be taking those Christmas requests. I mean, you're talking, what, 85 years? 85th year we've done this? 85th year? And making history this year with Talk to Santa because for the first time you can watch the show thanks to our WKOK Facebook page. So uh, like us on Facebook if you haven't done that yet. And we will have a live video stream of the show. That's tonight and every weeknight, 6 to 7 through Christmas Eve. So if you're having, well, a, if you're uh, having, a, if you're having a grinchy kind of day, I well, promise you, you won't by the end of the show. I was doing that, right, and then three consecutive nights, right, suit walks in and says, is it my turn yet? (laughs) What? I I finally like, okay, I can't watch that. (laughs) Three straight nights. I mean, you you don't mind if you... I mean, it's like watching George Costanza at at the birthday party. Yes. Okay. Pushes everybody out of the way. (laughs) Out of the way. It's like, what what are you doing? Suit, Costanza, what's the difference? Uh, Not much. Not much. The magic radio is for kids. <laughs> right? And he comes in. I'm watching the live stream. My turn? Is it my turn? <laughs> oh. Oh. How do we get through the day? All right. uh, Rich Hammond was a great guest, wasn't he? Boy, Outstanding. He gave, he gave some great information about the Rams. They've got the Eagles this week. That's why we had Rich on to talk about the Rams, uh, who have lost three times this year. But isn't it amazing here in the second year, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, top two picks in that order a year ago. And here they both are doing remarkable things for their teams. Goff was really um, just wandering in the wilderness last year. Now, part of it, as he mentioned, they put better people around him, including Sammy Watkins. That was a big, big get for the Rams. 
to go with Austin, who already gives them some speed. Gurley has really picked his game up. That's really helped. Getting Whitworth at that tackle spot, huge for them. But also, let's not discount Sean McVay. Sean McVay may only be 31, but he has a great feel for this, and he has a great feel as a play caller for what Goff can and can't do, and obviously he's done a great job working with him as a quarterback. I would think you'd have to put both Sean McVay and Doug Peterson in for Coach of the Year conversation. They definitely both are. They both have had great years uh, running their respective teams and give Doug Peterson a lot of credit. I think Doug Peterson, we know he's the play caller, uh, but uh, Doug Peterson uh, has called some really great games this year for them. He uh, he understands his guy, Carson Wentz, very, very much. Uh, very much. And the... Uh, So that's going to be, I think it's a great matchup coming up this weekend. That's the game of the week right there. So, uh, okay, disturbing story of the day, but we'll give it to you anyway. Uh, Michigan State University sports doctor Larry Nasser, who possessed child pornography and assaulted gymnasts, was sentenced to 60 years in federal prison in one of three criminal cases that ensure that he'll never be free again. Now, the 60-year sentence, by the way, is the maximum he can get. Uh, U.S. District Judge Janet Neff said Nasser's federal sentence won't start until he completes his sentences for sexual assault. The 54-year-old will get punishments in those two cases in state court in January. Nasser worked at Michigan State and with USA Gymnastics. He admits he molested girls with his hands, when they sought treatment for hip and back pain. Uh, underneath the veneer lurked a predator, said U.S. Attorney Sean Lewis. Olympians Allie Raisman, Michaela Maroney, and Gabby Douglas said they were victims of Nasser, who worked for USA Gymnastics and accompanied them at workouts or international events. Uh, Maroney said that Nasser was a monster who left scars on her psyche, and she says they may never go away. Uh, now, of course, Nasser deeply regrets the pain that he's caused and blah, blah, blah. The uh, child pornography was discovered last year when Nasser was being investigated for the assault. Aside from the criminal cases, more than 100 women and girls are suing Nasser. Michigan State and USA Gymnastics are also defendants in many of the lawsuits. So that's the disturbing story of the day, but one we had to pass along to you because it is of major significance, not only for... USA Gymnastics, but also for, obviously, Michigan State. All right, tomorrow, Jim Delaney on the show. Picks tomorrow. A couple of Fiesta Bowl representatives are also scheduled to be on the show tomorrow. I know they're excited about all of this. Santa coming up an hour from now. We have a news block coming up, which will be terrific, as it always is. The most informative news block anywhere. Is Sarah uh, hosting that tonight? I think Sarah is. Yep. Late day news roundup with Sarah at 506. Yep. Yep. 506. And then it'll be uh, Santa from 6 to 7 this evening. There'll be a moment where you'll hear in the background, is it my turn yet? Oh, no. <laughs> no, no. All right. No, it's not. You know, I always felt he was so effective on the after show. I also feel when it comes to this, to Santa, like after Christmas.
You're listening to News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury. You can hear us anywhere in the world with the Sunbury Broadcasting Corporation app. 